trying to decide whether that new game is worth your $60? Or maybe you're just wondering if an old game is worth your time. Well, you came to the right place. This is the only podcast that tries to answer the question. Should I buy it, though? Hey everyone, welcome back to Should I Buy It Though? And this week we are real excited to talk to you about the brand spanking new release, Bioshock. I am Giancarlo Herrera. I'm Nick Benetados. TJ Berry. I'm Amanda Facosta. I'm Nick number two. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Nick Jr. Uh, This week we have decided to go back and uh, revisit some classics in the form of the bioshock series so if you're listening to this on monday this is our bioshock episode uh we will be following this up with bioshock 2 on wednesday and bioshock infinite on friday so we've got a whole week of bioshock ready for you guys and i feel like we're gonna have a lot of thoughts on this series because it goes a lot of different places um with that said uh i think i want to give opening word to our resident expert Dr. Nicholas Benetados. Good evening. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Hello, doctor. Um, So this is background on your research, please, if you will. Correct. (laughs) Yes. Good. Good analysis there, Bucko. This is my favorite game of all time, as I said in the first episode, and I realized that my top three that I said, I I just realized that they all have some kind of commentary, whether political or social. That's weird. I didn't. I I don't know why. <laughs> uh, I, when I was first exp- uh, exposed to this game, um, I was in middle school, and it was actually Bioshock Two that I was exposed to first. My friends were playing it. Uh, I went over to their house, and I was immediately hooked. Just be, I guess, the atmosphere and the intrigue. You just have no idea what you're looking at, but it fascinates you. And this is usually what I come to see when I when I play this game and other people come and walk in on me, complete strangers. They also can't help but keep watching because it's uh, I think it's just super intriguing. So uh, when I first yeah, when I when I was first exposed to it, I kept asking questions. I couldn't look away. I can keep I just kept asking. And then when I left, I, the game still was in my mind. I still wanted to know what the heck is going on. I looked it up. I looked up everything. I didn't even play it. I just watched it. And I even went through the whole story and eventually even spoiling it for myself and just thinking the game was even more genius. And finally, uh, probably a year later, I got to playing the game for myself. And it confirmed everything. I already thought that the game was a masterpiece. There's no perfect game. But for me... This, for me personally, it's the perfect game. And I played it about, I think this was my, when I, for this uh, podcast, I played it again. So I think this was my seventh playthrough through the game. But I can always go back to this game. I can always play it again. And I can always look for new things that um, intrigue me. And I'll talk about that later. And I'm one of probably the the three or four people who read the novel for this game as well. So... (laughs) Yeah, that's my experience with Bioshock. I think I know every little bit of this series, or at least this particular game. All right. Uh, I guess the rest of us, we can kind of talk about our experience with uh, the games in general, since this is the first episode of our series. Um, but then I guess also we'll dive into Bioshock 1 in this episode. 
I know me personally, uh, I played Bioshock Infinite way back when it came out. It was one of my first exposures to, like, seriously gaming or whatever. It was when I started to explore games and, like, actually finish things and, and pay attention to what's going on and all of that. So, uh, granted, I don't remember it super well. I, I, I know the, the main plot and all of that, but it's been a while, so that kind of faded into the back of my mind. But this, uh, this series is my first time playing Bioshock 1 and 2. And I've been streaming all of that, and it's really been a lovely experience. I've had such a such an interesting journey playing the game and, and how I've experienced it so far. I guess part of that has to do with the, with the fact that I've been streaming, and other stuff has to do with the game's age, but also how it compares to uh, games that we have now. But I think, we, without spoiling too many of my thoughts, I think that these games hold up really quite well. So that's my experience with the game. Yeah, um, like you, my first experience with it was with Bioshock Infinite back when it came out. And that was sort of the first, um, not the first first-person shooter I played, but the first one that wasn't like a Call of Duty game. And I was super captivated by the visuals, the the play style, um, the story. I did a deep dive into the lore of that game back when it came out. Um, but like you, I had never played Bioshock 1 or 2 before. And I'm glad I was finally able to because they are both lovely, lovely games. Um, unfortunately, it's been out for so long that I knew one of the major spoilers in the first game. But um, it did not detract from my experience of it at all. Like I enjoyed it in a different way. I could see little details here and there um, that maybe a first time player wouldn't notice that didn't know anything. So, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I think that's a that's a big point that I, I think we'll discuss in a bit. But as far as how you experience it, Bioshock 1 in particular, to me, feels like a game that benefits from multiple playthroughs. Mm -hmm. But we'll, we'll get into that in a second. My experience is a little weird. I played it in 2010. Um, and this is when 2 had already come out. Mostly because I was forced to play the first one uh, for a class <laughs> I was taking in college for game design. And I had hmm. to take notes. But, uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, right? It was cool. I got to play that. That's perfect. Play Uncharted and all this stuff. So we got to take notes. and It was cool. Um, it's definitely probably one of the greatest games um, ever created. Um, not even subjectively. Just because all the cool These things. Are facts. <laughs> These are actual facts. These are, <laughs> These are held up by uh, statistics. <laughs> but yeah. I guess that leaves me um so my experience with this game was very limited um i only the first time i was exposed to it was because of our resident expert uh dr nick benetatos when we were roommates and i remember being in the living room and he would be playing this game and i would the first time I saw it, I noped out, like, super quick, because I am not a horror, spooky kind of person, and let's be honest, just looking at the game, just looking at the cover, I'm like, this is giving me a weird feeling, and I am not comfortable, so... <laughs> and I remember when he was playing, it was, like, the... Now I know our... The little sisters, it, they were on the screen, and I was like, that's a big no from me, dude. Like, I don't do dolls. <laughs> 
and they look like little scary dolls with glowing eyes. I'm like, <laughs> no, sir. No, thank you. Good night. I'm going to bed. Um, and now we're here years later where I have been forced to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Yes, at the very beginning, you're thrown for a loop. It's very dark. I was very scared. My anxiety was already through the roof, but I started to like it. I yeah. Get it. I, get it I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'll say for now. We'll go in depth later, but yes, Nick, I get it. Good choice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Should we say what the game's about first or? Sure. Uh, yeah, for anyone who may not be aware, and we'll try to... This is an old game, so we will probably discuss spoilers later on. But we'll try and generally steer clear of anything big until later in the episode, in case you're trying to get a feel for whether you want to explore this game for the first time or not. Uh, but generally speaking, the game opens uh, with an, a, a, an opening scene that has been lauded time and time again throughout the years, but... You are in a plane that crashes, and you wake up in this water. Um, you you don't know what's going on. You walk towards this lighthouse, and eventually swim you towards. <laughs> well, towards <laughs> you swim lighthouse. towards the lighthouse. The plane crashes, by the way. Yes, yes, the plane crashes. <laughs> Our hero um, is Jesus and can walk on water. Walk on and, water. Um, yes. <laughs> walk through water. And you enter this lighthouse, and you take a, a, a bathysphere down, and you enter this underwater city called rapture and so the big draw of the game is exploring what the hell is rapture why am i here what is going on and as you continue to explore you you start to meet new characters and you unravel new mysteries and you find these people who have been genetically modified and you start to learn why they're doing it how they're doing it and and it starts to reveal the inner workings of this city so that's kind of the draw the Really, it is this atmosphere and and this intriguing world for you to discover piece by piece as uh, seemingly a passenger who just stumbled upon it. Hilarity and shenanigans ensue. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, in a in a very um, disturbing way, I guess. Yeah, if it you're Nick be. Benetados and you're directing me specifically to guide me to jump scares that I don't know are there, it's then yeah, pretty it's funny. pretty funny. <laughs> it is pretty funny. Can I just say though, you like just talking about the introduction of it, like the way they ease you into it, mm-hmm. the way everything was introduced. I don't know. I just, I really liked it. You know how? Yeah, you have the plane crash and you get there and you do the whole thing, but then. And you're kind of, because you're like an underwater city. My first thought is like, oh, Atlantis, it's like utopia. This is super, super cool. And then, (laughs) you know, you go a little further and it's like, oh, what? And you're introduced with your first little spider splicer. Someone just like straight off the bat. Okay, murder. Got it. I see what the game is. I see where we're going. I'm all in. Can I just say that opening is terrifying with the spider slicer my yes. heart was pounding oh and this is like a 13 year old game so i didn't expect to be scared but oh my god the voice acting of that guy and the lighting and the atmosphere i was like this is kind of terrifying and i don't want to walk out of this bathysphere right now uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know what a splicer is there is a substance in this city that is discovered um that can basically allow you to alter your genetic code and it's also very addictive. 
So while everyone is used taking this substance to evolve, uh, essentially, uh, they it ends up destroying their minds and uh, the addiction uh, ex- expands the ex- exponentially. The process uh, degrades their minds even more and they become more insane, but they also have these incredible powers. So a spider splicer is someone uh, who has spliced themselves with the ability to climb onto walls and ceilings with these little hooks that they carry. Um, but their mind is very gone. And splicers in this there's that's the main enemy in this game. Is it's other it's other humans basically to make you feel a little bit sympathetic towards them. It's kind of like blood file blood vials from Bloodborne, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, these splicers. I lost, I lost the train of thought. I, something just hit me about the hook in a later game, but that might not be a connection. Basically, the spiders uh, or splicers in general, they will off. Yeah, they're often their minds are gone, and they're just wandering about the city, and they they laugh to themselves, they talk to themselves, uh. They cry to themselves. Their their minds are completely warped, and they're always hostile towards the player. Um, that is a splicer. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um. So, so since we went straight in with the introduction of this world and and the atmosphere, specifically talking about introductions, I'm curious as to how you feel uh, the game, especially by modern standards. Uh. Does. How well of a job it does of introducing players to concepts. Uh, because one of the the really wonderful and miraculous almost things about this game is uh, if you're playing the remastered and you unlock all of those commentaries, you see about what a struggle it was to get this game developed. The yeah. small team that was working essentially for free and, and learning skills that they'd never done before to try and get this game out the door. And it really gives you a new appreciation for how well done the game is. That said, of course, there were some issues with the fact that the the team was almost stretching themselves thin and that they had to expand and branch out into areas that they weren't necessarily experts in and reworking stuff that, you know, to a small team, especially when you're working on something day in, day out, starts to become obvious and maybe isn't to a player. One of the things they talk a lot about is trying to make things more sympathetic or more accessible to the player. And for me, one of the things that struck me a lot throughout this game, at least early on, is that it's super fun, but it's kind of obtuse. There's a lot of times where, and it's not that things aren't introduced, but maybe they're just not introduced in the most effective way, or they're introduced a bit too early before you really start using it the way that the game wants you to like do it to progress. And I would forget because it just wasn't super ingrained in my memory. And I'm curious if anyone else felt uh, a bit of a difficulty to um, grasping some of the concepts that the game introduced to you early on. Do you have an example? Yeah, the the primary one that comes to mind when I think of it is early on the game gives you a telekinesis power. And so you can use it throughout the level, but eventually what you're supposed to do is there's an enemy who's throwing grenades at you, and you're supposed to use it to clear some rubble to progress through a door. And while I had a grasp of the telekinesis power, because of what I had to do to go get it and then come back, by the time I came back, I kept killing the dude up there, but I just completely forgot that I was supposed to break through that rubble. And because there is a lot of rubble throughout the game, to me, it just didn't click. 
because he just looked like another pile of rubble, you know? So I was like, how do, why does this guy keep respawning? Like, what's going on? Um, just little things mm. like that, where it would, I would get stuck for a minute or two. I, I remember that specific instance just because the same thing happened to me. And I remember I asked you about it. I was like, what am I supposed to do here? Mm-hmm. Because I thought, because I, I knew it had to do with the telekinesis. I got that part. Yeah. But I wasn't sure how to get rid of the rubble. And I kept trying to move the rubble with the yeah. telekinesis, not blow it up. Because I'm, I don't know. And I was just like, why are there so many of this guy, like, just coming back, dude? Like, yeah, because I also think you never really <laughs> use grenades to open up passages like that ever again in the game, I don't think, right? No, that's the only no. time it uh, does it. Yeah. But I thought for me personally, I mean, the game kind of telegraphed those things fairly well. Because when you got the electric plasmid uh atlas, that one was excellent atlas yeah. tells you and for those who don't know alice is the your buddy that kind of guides you through rapture for most of the game and um he says oh there's a pool of water you could use uh mm-hmm. your electric plasmid on and when enemies jump into it you shoot at it and i'm like oh okay that's telegraphed perfectly the same for the fire one there's like an ice thing you gotta melt so i just naturally assume by the time we got to telekinesis there's something in the level that's gonna teach me how to use this and when I went back to the area you needed to use it on, I instantly connected the, oh, grenades, blow up the debris. So that's interesting. You guys are saying it, it took you a while yeah, to get it, through that. When you when you pick up the plasmid, telekinesis plasmid, it says you can even grab grenades and throw them yeah, back. Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I kept throwing and, it back and, and at the dude that. instead of throwing it to the rubble <laughs> is what I mean. It's just exactly. little, like generally the game does a really clean job of, of handling introductions and like with the short... Uh, the little like 30 second videos where it explains the plasmids to you like those are all super well done and yeah. like like you said the um the electroshock that that one's excellent because it almost clicks in your head before they even tell you so a lot of those are done really well but every now and then the game just suddenly gets a little obtuse because it feels like they maybe took some sort of understanding for granted in mm. in little different ways and it's both a strength and a weakness of the game in my experience like uh, how full the world is. The world has things to explore in every single corner. But then, like, for example, sometimes you would find an essential piece of information in, like, let's say an audio log that you didn't need for a few minutes. And by the time I got somewhere else, I just kind of forgot about it, which maybe it's just because I have the attention span of a goldfish. But I guess by modern standards, it it felt... uh Not that it was bad. It just stumped me a little bit, and it kind of... It was a hitch for me at times until I got used to the fact that, like, okay, unlike other games, I really need to pay attention to everything. And if something seems like it might be relevant, I need to commit that to memory. Well, I don't see why that's an issue. And also, let me ask you, like, would you rather they held your hand through the whole experience? No, but, okay, like, for example, by the time I got to Bioshock 2, if we're, let's just jump ahead a second. By the time we got to Bioshock 2... I had learned how to play Bioshock. And so at that point, I didn't need the quality of life changes they made. But for example, one quality of life change that they did make was if you found a code, by the time you went to input it, it was there on the screen, which is maybe a little heavy handed. But if you're paying attention anyways, I don't think it detracts from your experience. It might just detract if you're like blasting through the game. Um, Again, it's not like a knock, but there were like little hitches where... I I maybe wish that they, it made a bigger deal of some moments. Not it, it didn't need to be super telegraphed, but every now and then 
I it just something would throw me for a loop for a, a second. See, um, go ahead, yeah. TJ. I was just saying sometimes you just need a little extra help, um, because I feel like not a lot of people would throw the grenades at walls. I like th- I liked a lot of the subtle way that the game kind of took you along in terms of its both its gameplay and its story. Like the audio logs, I really like that form of storytelling. I do too. I, I didn't necessarily like picking up audio logs all the time to piece the story together, but I liked how sometimes they were placed next to a scene that you wouldn't know what it was about until you listen to the audio log mm-hmm. and you realize, Oh, this is exactly what happened here. That's why that dead body's there. And, and, and it was a very nice way to piece the story together and it would be kind of disjointed at different times. And yeah. as the game went along, you figure more and more out. And I always liked that way of telling stories. You see it a lot in like bloodborne and dark souls and it doesn't just give you the story. The players got to do a little bit of, you know, thinking, extra work, and I, I've always enjoyed that. That's why I think I, I say that it feels like the game, particularly Bioshock 1, benefits from multiple playthroughs, because they're, the world is so intentional, and, um, like, even in, in that commentary, they talk about how they wanted to make sure that every corpse you saw in the game told a story somehow. Mm-hmm. And I love that, and, and even big things in the game are are strewn in bits and pieces throughout, like, in the audio logs. You'll listen to one, and it might not sound like much, but then it's this thread that kind of continues throughout the game and ultimately connects to a much bigger thing. But it's something that maybe on your first playthrough, because you're experiencing a world for the first time, and it is so chock-full of stuff, you won't necessarily be able to connect each dot on your first time around. So it benefits from having those playthroughs, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. It's... I, it just seems to me like the game might be more fun on subsequent playthroughs than on your first playthrough. Is the general feeling that I get not? And, and again, it's not a bad thing. I just think it's it, it's a it's a side effect of how lovingly crafted the world is. Well, that, yeah, it depends how much you value replayability. Yeah, because uh, you know, instead of playing your game once and then you're done with it. Because this one especially, you're going to, yeah, if you play this again, you're going to look back at all those audio diaries and things are going to make even more sense. And little things that you didn't catch before, they're, they're going to pop out at you this time. Um, and even gameplay, I feel like you would appreciate more on a you second can try or new third things. playthrough. Yeah. yeah, you can try different things, different tactics. Yeah, yeah I don't it. think this game yeah. is uh, is Dark Souls by any means. No, you know, like no, no, You no, have no. Vita Chambers, you can respond all the time. But I will say, like, the combat is pretty brutal. I died often in Bioshock 1, especially compared to, like, my experience with Bioshock 2 and even, like, Infinite. I was dying all the time. Yeah, I played on hard mode and I died quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, yeah, to talk about that, because I I think we all died plenty of times. Um, Not me. Okay, we've got Doctor, jeez. But I think my biggest issue with that, or at least why I kept I noticed I kept dying so often was because I also just had so much trouble um, finding ammo. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in a way, like, the game kind of, like, and as I wanted to explore. I wanted to regardless, but it also forces you, like, you have to explore because yeah. also yeah. I don't have any money, yeah. so I can't go buy the ammo. And also then hacking comes into play, and it's like, you have to Oh, hack I love hacking. I know. Okay, here's the, I... I really, I enjoyed the hacking. I did. But then I started to not. And I'm just like, again, like, especially because 
and I'm not I'm not really complaining, but I mean mm-hmm. I wasn't bad at the hacking, but I'm like okay, it's the same hacking for the turrets, it's the same hacking yeah. for the camera, it's the same hacking for the uh, circus of value. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like you could I mean you could have I guess switched it up. Not really a real complaint, but the point is, I felt like I died a lot because. I just didn't have enough ammo. Well, that's where the the Thank survival you. horror aspect of the game kind of comes in. I think it, it is more of an action game, but this game mm-hmm. in particular really stresses survival horror. And it's like in uh, Last of Us or Resident Evil, you got to you got to loot if you want to survive, you know? Um For sure. my For sure. my For issue sure. with dying frequently was there seemed to be no consequences to dying yes sometimes i would would strategically get myself killed so i don't waste a first aid kit and i'm like (laughs) when i would set off the alarms yeah exactly if there's no real consequence to dying then i'm like why yeah why is this element in the game i i I couldn't quite figure it out i don't know if you guys could Hmm. i think it was just meant to be fun probably yeah (laughs) it's but they, they say they designed it to be a shooter first with like light RPG mechanics. Okay. So the fact you know, get back in and keep shooting, so, I guess, is yeah. my best guess. Not make it too hard or too annoying for the player. Yeah. yeah I if, mean, you if you wanna... really want to be impossible, turn off Vita Chambers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, if you want the challenge to go up, just take it off. I still think there should be some consequence to it to really um, make you fear death a little bit more. Because in this game, I had absolutely no fear of dying at all. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll I'm dead. I'll get back in the fight instantly. Well, for me, it was the fact that I would tear through resources because you don't respawn with full health, and I would waste my first aid packs, and then I would die, and then the problem was that if I was out, and I died, and I came back with, like, little to no health, it would be almost impossible for me to stop dying. Right. So, like, the annoyance of that is is what uh, motivated me to not die and to not run out of my resources, Mm -hmm. because then you're getting respawned into the middle of a fight, but you're not even at 100%. Um, so you're, it's like two hits and you're out, you know? Yeah. If we're talking about combat, though, although I do want to go back to hacking eventually, but if we're talking about <laughs> combat, um, I will say that one of the things that I did like about it, uh, that still kind of showcases that older gaming sensibility is headshots. Headshots mean something in this game. I feel like so many games now, like it, it almost doesn't matter, but in this one, most of the time, unless you're fighting like a big daddy, which are the big armored enemies, if you land a headshot on someone, you're very likely to one-shot kill them. Mm-hmm. What kind of games would you say headshots don't really matter? Well, I'm saying, like, look at something like a, a Doom. the big one that comes to mind is, I guess, yeah. Doom. But eh, uh, look at something like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. It doesn't matter anymore. Like, they can right. take you know, three shots to the head, you know, or, or more depending. Well, on yeah, because of that, they design it more like an RPG than an actual, but characters in this else. game can take multiple headshots. As they well. can, they can, but it feels like it, it feels worth it to, to land the headshots. Sometimes in other games, I'm like, the difference is so minimal that I'd rather just take a, a faster fire rate and like shoot it at the body in this one. And I just recently rediscovered it in Bioshock 2's DLC. Cause uh, I didn't really get to use gun, get to use guns much in Bioshock 2, but I remembered. I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot how good the the headshot mechanic is in here." Where depending on what weapon you're using, one well placed shot on like most enemies, and you could just thin out the herd real quick. And I appreciated that. It helps you could see the damage you're doing too. 
you know, yeah. that visual aid of like, oh, I could physically see the bar going down and doubly so when I land a headshot. And overall, the game's just the flexibility of gameplay uh, when it comes to the combat, like between all your abilities and, and all of the weapons you have, you have stuff like, you know, with incinerate, you can light up a, an explosive barrel and blow up a bunch of enemies. Or you could take that same barrel and throw it at people and it'll blow up on impact. Um, and you, and you have you a variety can, of different weapons and yeah. You can light up any alcohol you see with incinerate and then use telekinesis to throw it and make a makeshift Molotov. I exactly. in this game. Yeah. Wow, I never did that. <laughs> you just have to experiment with things. <laughs> yeah. I but know. I just love that options, part. baby. It's options. It is. No. And the thing is also, I know I complained a lot about not having enough ammo but personally i felt like for this one at least um i hated using guns i hated the wrench the wrench plus like a plasmid (laughs) dude dude that's it that's all you need for this game that's something that's that's a viable option too and i'm pretty sure that's intentional that's something i didn't discover really until bioshock 2 like i knew it was possible but in bioshock 2 i mean we'll talk about it when we get there but i went the the drill only route um, and I think I would have enjoyed Bioshock 1 way more if I had thought to, like, make a build, you know, rather than just being like, oh, this sounds powerful, this sounds powerful, and just trying to, like, get this mix to just survive. If I had, like, committed to a, a specific play path and really maxed something out, I think I, I might have had more fun than I actually ended up having. Oh, see, I love the guns in Bioshock 1. Like, my sh- the shotgun was my best friend. The The feel of that, how it kicked and everything. And, and I, again, the visual aid of seeing the damage I was doing with each different one felt good. And um, going back to the enemies for a second, I love not only the variety of the enemies in the game, but ver- the variety of things you could do depending on the enemy you are fighting. Like, you have a different gameplay style for when you're fighting the splicers, when you're fighting the machines in the game, or when you're fighting the big daddies, you know? Um, it, it kind of felt like an RPG, or like Final Fantasy VII. Like, you use lightning on the robots, you do this for the human enemies. It it was cool. I, I, I enjoyed that, and I like the strategy behind each encounter. Yeah. I do. I agree with that. I do agree with that. I will say, though, I felt at a certain point with like, because every level had its own certain like boss, I guess we could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did feel like they were kind of repetitive, although each one did have like, I know once you got to like Neptune's bounty, you would have used, I forgot his name, but you would have used um, incinerate on him and whatever else on the other. But I felt like they were so similar. They were like a little bit more powerful than like a Houdini splicer. Yeah. And that was it. And I'm not necessarily, again, complaining because like, hey, I like a good smooth kill. I'm good to go. But they all felt very similar. In my experience, with the exception of maybe Dr. Steinman, which I think is one of the first bosses you get to, I actually found that all the bosses were easier than regular enemies. I would say 75% of the bosses in this game, with the exception of, like, Big Daddies, but, like, all the the encounters that were supposed to be meaningful, almost all of them killed themselves. (laughs) There were a ton of enemies that I did not... I did not lay a single finger on. There's one section where you get frozen, 
and then you thaw out and you're supposed to thaw out the enemies and you're supposed to chase him down. I thought out like random enemies and they went and killed him for me. There was another one where I I was in a duct waiting for this guy to spawn and and then I had to crawl out of the duct because I was on the wrong side. And by the time I got out of the duct, he was just lying on the ground dead. Like all right, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to come yeah, in. Later. Okay, go go go. <laughs> it's possible that machines you hacked that you yes. did not you forgot I used about that strategically. killed them. I did. You use Big Daddy. I remember hypnosis. Hypnotize. He would hit them for you. The thawing the guys out. Uh, that character. Um, Martin Finnegan, that character, that disciple of Sander Cohen that you're supposed yes. to kill, the the Iceman, who, yeah. by the way, is also voiced by the director, Ken Levine, which I think is awesome. Oh, cool. Because um, everyone loves his voice. God, the voice acting was incredible. Go ahead. Breath. Um, he, those splicers have a vendetta against him because he froze yeah, them yeah, yeah. in there. So when you thought those guys out, they hate him and they want to kill him. That is on purpose. I agree. Yes, I like it. It just felt weird that I literally didn't get a single hit in on him, you know? He's not well, he's not exactly a a boss, right? You uh, just true, there. True. He's part he's on your uh mission to to go to throughout the level. Well, yeah, most of them him. really weren't bosses. They operated like regular no. splicers, right? And I think that's intentional main... too. Yeah, because the bosses are are the uh, the neutral bosses, the big daddies. Yes. these yeah. roving boss fights that you choose when you want to encounter. Which I which that mechanic think... is fantastic. Yeah, and say. no, and had not really been done because well, I think this game is ahead of its time. Yeah, but I don't think any other games at that time had done yeah. something like that. I, I do want to talk about the big daddies for a second. I enjoyed them as fights, and I think they were some of the best fights in the game. And I liked planning for them, but because of the game's age and you know how long it's been since the game came out, I was a little disappointed by the big daddies because they were built up to me over the years to be one of the scariest enemies in gaming. Yeah. And the first time you encounter one, it's supposed to be this massive hulking thing that you're not strong enough for and all these things. And by the time I got to it, I'm like, I'm taller than these things, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and, and for the most part, they weren't that difficult, but I did enjoy fighting them. I just wasn't scared of them. I had the same experience as you. I expected to be terrified, but at the same time, Benetados told me that unless you attack them first they will not hit they will not bother you right yeah. if i had so not been informed of that i think i would have remained terrified of them throughout the entire game i didn't know that for so long <laughs> no yeah. one told me and i don't know why none of you decided to tell me thank you so much i thought much. you were on stream when he said it <laughs> no i uh, i thought it, i thought she gosh. was too but there you go I see now she was but... terrified by it I was. Yeah. I was always And the presentation, scared. He's as soon as they get close to you, your screen is shaking, the loud mm-hmm. thumps, the whale yeah. noise. <laughs> Frankenstein monster. <laughs> My I God. Was, honestly, though, but at, at one point, once you get closer towards the end of the game, they became so much easier to kill, and I had a harder time with the splicers than I did with the big daddies. <laughs> I yeah. felt so bad killing them because the little sister next to them would like weep over their dead bodies like, Mr. Bubbles, please. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yep. I need your Adam. <laughs> That's <laughs> Come the point. Here. That's oh, the okay. Point. Let's talk about the little sisters. <laughs> oh, God. Because I have had such a whirlwind experience with how I feel about these little sisters. Because when they first showed up, okay, the only thing I really knew about Bioshock coming into it 
besides the fact that big daddies exist, because obviously they're like the poster child of Bioshock, I knew that there was something with the little sisters. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I think you had an option to save or kill them or something like that, and that what you do affects the game somehow. But I did not know what it was. And so, when you finally get the option to, to harvest or rescue them, if I feel like if I hadn't known that it would have had some effect, I probably would have harvested all of them. <laughs> but, I didn't. And later on in the game, slight spoiler without giving away any big plot details, later on in the game, there is a section where you are defending a little sister. You you essentially take on the role of a big daddy and, and you have to protect a little sister for a period of time. And that was so effective for me, especially by that point in the game when I had rescued all the little sisters. Like, I I was terrified. I was like, you better not... You no, Hey, hey, hey! Do not touch my little sister! Don't do it! Like, And I became so attached to them. And then by... By Bioshock 2, I'm like, these are my babies. <laughs> Nobody lay a finger on my little sister. Um, <laughs> and it was so surprisingly emotionally resonant for me. Uh, especially because the first time you save one, when you kill, uh, she calls the big daddies Mr. Bubbles, right? So I'm like, I'd never really felt bad about killing the big daddies because you would rescue them, or I would rescue them at least. So I'm like, cool, I'm doing them a favor, I guess. But... The first time I killed one, uh, when you're in the middle of the fight, she goes, kill him, Mr. Bubbles, X his eyes, X his... and like stuff like that. And I'm like, girl, I'm your saving. It offended me the first time around. I was like, I don't want to rescue you anymore. But then over the game, I, I developed this attachment to them. And I I'm just so surprised that that mechanic was so effective on me. And I'm curious as to how it felt for all of you, the choice with the little sisters. Um, well, I, again did not know that it would like alter the outcome for the very end of the game um so but i just knew i mean like once i i was like let me let me rescue like because i you know that's just like a moral thing i'm gonna rescue and then once you realize like oh they're just like they're just trapped they're little girls but they're trapped and yeah like, so basically throughout the game you're giving me this choice of are you gonna save a little girl or are you gonna kill a little girl i'm like well Obviously, I'm yeah. gonna save a little girl, but I mean, yeah, that's hey. not a the moral choice. Oh, do I kill him or be good or evil? Is not the most I know. profound. I know, and, no, and, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I mean, let's. Be I just like, feel like when I when you're playing a game, it's so easy, at least for me, to get into the like maximization mode where I'm like, cool. If you're gonna give me more rewards for harvesting them, I'll harvest them. Whatever, like it's a game. And it kind of, it frames it in an interesting way too. Amanda, you you can finish your thought, but I'll go into why I thought it framed it kind of in a cool way. No, you're good. Um, no, but also, also to expand on John that specific part that you were talking about when you basically take on the role of a big daddy. Mm-hmm. That I I hated it. I hated <laughs> that entire part. I, wow, the number of times I just wanted to quit, I hated that. That was awful. Not to say, I love, obviously, yes, let's protect the little sister. It was sweet, but it was so, it was just so annoying. It felt so tedious, especially, especially because I was, you know, I was doing really well, but she kept, look, 
and obviously it's a game it's not that deep but she kept yelling at me to like say hurry up mr bubbles and i'm like i'm past you run i'm running you're not running and i was just so frustrated at her but obviously it's not her fault but then the only moments where she decided to run were the moments when i was like being attacked by a billion people and i was using my wrench duh and i had some some tonic on the wrench where if i hit you with the wrench an electric shock would get like thrown out yeah. towards everyone around me and obviously my enemies are around me because they're attacking me but you know who else was around me the little sister so how many times did this little girl have to regenerate and climb out of the vent and i'd have to start all over so many times so many times that's all I have to say. I, I'm i sorry, but I was very upset. Thank no, it was a frustrating mission. I ran into some bugs that got me killed, just like with enemy placement. But I don't know. I had just, I just taken on the role so much that like she never got ahead of me because I would walk at her pace purposefully because I was like, no one, oh. no one touches the baby. And then when she starts <laughs> doing that, I would run to like the opposite ends of the arena to keep setting traps so that of they wouldn't get to would. her. It was No, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, if anyone really wants to experience that, they just have to watch the stream because that's the majority <laughs> of the stream is you just yeah. defending yeah. these little girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um my take on the whole little sister thing, um like you, John, I it's I was almost spoiled by that mechanic because mm -hmm. I already knew that saving was the good choice, harvesting was the bad choice. But if I had not known anything about the game, I think it presents it to you in such a way where you kind of don't really know what the good choice is because yeah, at the time it's introduced to you, you have this new character, Tenenbaum, who takes a shot at you and says, I'm going to kill you if you touch that little sister. And then you got your buddy Atlas on the side saying, hey, I, I think it's a good idea to maybe harvest it. It helps you out. And um, they're kind of supported by these monsters that you're fighting throughout the yeah. whole thing, the big daddies, and they're crying over that. And when you hit the rescue button, they're like fighting you. They don't want to be rescued. And I'm like, is this the right choice? Was I wrong? So if I yeah. had experienced this going in blind, I might have chosen harvest too. And I think kind of putting you in that dilemma is a very clever thing to do. And Not um, to mention... Sorry, yeah, finish. No, no, my, my last thought was on that final, the escort mission. And I'm going to say escort mission because I disdain escort missions. And that was uh -huh. my least favorite part of the game. And I think it's a hell of a time to put one in when it's towards the end. And it's followed by a middling boss fight. But uh, yeah, and there was a game-breaking glitch where I had to restart my save. And she walks one less than one mile per hour. And I'm ahead of her. <laughs> And I clear the whole area trying to get her path as easy as possible. And I, I hated it. I despised it. The rest <laughs> of the game is wonderful. But that was the worst part by far. I didn't care about that little girl. The end. Agreed. Yeah. Well, not to mention when it comes to um, how they first frame the little girl decision. It, it's also interesting because Atlas tells you. He basically frames it like the zombie dilemma where he goes. He's like, hey, look, I know she looks like a little girl. But harvesting isn't going to hurt her. Trust me. She's right. not there anymore. Like, it, it, you'll get more Adam, but, like, that little girl is gone. And Tenenbaum's presented as the mad scientist, almost, yeah. that created And them. if you had listened to that initial harvest, like, yeah, you kill her, but you never, if you never get to see what happens, like, if you don't see the fact that you can restore her to normal, and you had just harvested, you would just 
think that that's fine. You would think that, yeah, like they're basically zombies. Like that's not heard. There's no way to rescue them and you're fine to harvest, which is interesting. I I would have loved to maybe have experienced this game without knowing that that was a choice at all. For the record, I murdered as many of them as possible. (laughs) Wow. Oh, Oh, wow. He dropped the mic on that one. (laughs) (laughs) For you listening, uh, TJ said that and then dropped out of the meeting. I would have harvested them. (laughs) Uh, I'll be back in here in a second. That's great. I don't know, Mm -hmm. man. I didn't know it was coming. I just, it felt right to rescue. I don't know. I guess also just the words rescue versus harvest. No, yeah, the word right. And and it actually is the better option in the game. You don't know that. Of course, but every three sisters, you get extra atom and a really good plasmid to hypnotize those big daddies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you actually uh, being good actually gives you the best stuff. So it's not the most in-depth morality thing. If you knew that, uh, you would always rescue because it's just going to you're actually more powerful doing the good thing anyway. Yeah. You wouldn't know that, though. Yeah, unless exactly. You played the game. Yeah. I think uh, another thing that, that I think there are two sections I want to talk about, and then maybe we'll jump into performance and then narrative. Um, but the two being the section before you do the little sister escort mission, and then the final boss. So uh, let's let's start with the section before because there's you are undergoing a transformation as the character, and I want to know how that felt for you. It's a it's a physical transformation. And the game does such a, in my opinion, such a wonderful job of conveying that because you're you're doing something piece by piece. And so, like, you're, you're getting different pieces of an outfit and all of that. So, like, when you get the boots, the way you walk is suddenly different in the game. And then, you know, when, when you get a helmet, like, your screen looks slightly different and all of that. And that slow transformation piece by piece it, and it being what it is narratively felt like such a big moment to me that it was so exciting. It was... Maybe the most hype I got in the game outside of the section in Fort Frolic with Sander Cohen. And I'm curious as to how you guys felt about that section. Yeah, um, I agree. I I thought it was super hype because you're fighting these things the whole game. And for the most part, they're a big nuisance, killing you over and over again, dumping all your ammo on them. And then to become one and to take less damage too and become this powerful thing, it's it's satisfying. Narratively, I was getting a little worried. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, have I been like... Because I thought at first it was going to imply that we were all clones, like the big daddies were all the same and that you've been killing yourself the whole time. It turned out not to be that, so I was a little worried. But um, mm-hmm. the process of um, putting the outfit on, I'm like, ah, oh, this is cool. I'm enjoying yeah. this. Yeah. I kind of thought that too. Uh... Like becoming a big daddy like almost felt like, like, oh, man, am I killing like my brother's? Yeah. Like, <laughs> the whole time like what is going on here I well think. especially because you still you still end up maybe i'm confusing one and two but you still end up fighting some big daddies at that point right yes you so do. it's very it's very weird that so like it's hard to distinguish between whose voice when your character gets hurt he he makes the big daddy yeah. noise. He goes, and it's interesting yeah there yeah. were a lot of times where i was just like getting hurt that i thought there was a big daddy around so i freaked out <laughs> and i was like i'm literally just by myself in this hallway and there's but no they overlook something when you jump you still have jack's voice it's only when you get hurt that you make the big whale noise oh yeah. <laughs> so when you jump you still <laughs> 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 
he's like, oh shit, I mean, uh. (laughs) (laughs) And then, I guess the other thing is, because Palazzo, you just touched on it, the middling boss fight at the end. Without giving away what the boss fight is, I definitely thought it was going to be... I guess, like, like with most of the boss fights in the game, I almost expected more. So, like, I was running around the arena beforehand, hacking everything, and I'm like, okay, I need to have everything set up and all of this. And, like, while it was a big rush, uh, toward, especially, like, in, in the late stages of the boss fight, overall, I was surprised at the fact that I got through it with relative ease. And it, not that it was a letdown, because, honestly, the way the narrative wraps up is fun, and I feel like I had so much fun with the game beforehand, that the boss fight wasn't something that I was like, man, that ruined it, you know? it Because it felt like more of the same. It wasn't necessarily like it got worse. But it was just not exceptional to me. I, I know the the creative director himself, he doesn't like the boss fight. And I yeah. think that's part of the thing. I know 2K... They forced the boss fight and the alternate the, ending. Yes, the right? sponsor... Yeah. the the pub, Sorry, the publisher, 2K, they, they said that they wanted a big boss fight at the end and they wanted alternate endings. So, um, and that's of course their least favorite parts, uh, the creative directors. I actually enjoyed, um, this boss fight. Um, I I thought it was cool. Yeah. It's not super hard. And also before you even go into the room with the boss, uh, there's tons of ammo and stuff given to you, like preparing you for this big fight. But yeah, it's not super challenging, but I don't have a problem with it either. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I called it middling because I didn't hate it. It's not the worst boss fight in the world. It was fine. I realized after, like, it was kind of average. It wasn't anything special. But um, I appreciated it at the time because it was different from what we had had, what we had been doing up until that point. And that's kind of also a critique I had with Bioshock. After a while, everything felt kind of the same. And they didn't introduce anything new to me that made me as interested in the gameplay loop as I was at the beginning and middle sections of the game. Um, And I think that that's something that future first-person shooters have done better. Like Doom or Titanfall 2 are two examples of games that add new things throughout that keep you interested in the gameplay. Sure. Um, the story was great and kept me hooked, but in, in terms of what I was actually doing, um, it got old after a while, at least for me. Well, you were getting all these upgrades if you're looking for them throughout the game to change mm-hmm. your play style, I think. Um, but yeah, every weapon, I think, by uh, Fort Frolic is given to you at that point. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. they give you the other half of the game to experiment with all that stuff and yeah. upgrade all that stuff. And that's why I, I guess we can talk about Fort Frolic a little more when we get to the actual narrative section. Um, but I think Fort Frolic is the most effective section in the game yes. because you're, you've got these mechanics down and it is the first time that the world really becomes your sandbox. It's just up to you how you want to tackle everything. Um if no one else has any other thoughts on the boss fight, I would like to take a quick section to talk about performance in 2020 for anyone who is interested in buying the game. Well, it's I want to say I th- I heard that the remaster was super buggy. I yes, uh, I've I, heard the same. I did not experience that much on PS4, but it seems like on PC that thing is detestable. The, the yeah. as far as bugs and issues. 
I know Amanda. <laughs> Amanda's been running into innumerable crashes. I personally, and you can watch the stream. I only had the one where uh, an enemy basically kind of bugged out after I died, and I had to reload a save. Other oh, than yes. that, it was fine. Although I will say, if you're buying this on Steam uh, as a PC game. Uh, the collection includes both the remasters and the originals. And I've actually heard that a lot of people choose to just play the originals to avoid uh, some of the bugs that I guess got introduced in the remastered. But Amanda, I would love to open this section up to you for a second. Well, the thing, I mean, with the first game, I the game only crashed once. And mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've, I'm always, a, I'm the type of person, I'm like, I will save. I will always save. I'm a saver. It's been a while since i've like really played um a game like bioshock so i kind of guess i just got a little lazy and i didn't necessarily save as much as i normally did yeah so, autosaves are not frequent in this game not at all not at all uh but yeah my game crashed at one point i don't even remember i don't even remember when it happened but i remember it was during your stream yeah and <laughs> Uh, I had to start all the way back from like before it was, it was still towards the beginning. So, but it was just annoying cause I had done so much in that amount of time and then I had to go all the way back and I got really frustrated. So, but it was only once with Bioshock, with sure. Bioshock two, however, <laughs> which we don't necessarily, <laughs> I don't know if I, I could save it for the next episode. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> just just a little buyer beware for uh, potential PC players. Please well, save. and PS4 also, because I've run really? into, in, in the collection as a whole between Bioshock 1 and 2, I've run into two game-breaking glitches where I couldn't progress because something happened. And it was okay for me because I don't trust auto-saves in any game, so I frequently save as well, so it didn't put me too far back. But, yeah, I, I had to turn the app off and boot it back up because I couldn't progress due to the glitches um gotcha. but all the other tech aspects of the game i thought were um 10 out of 10 out of 10 honestly the lighting yeah. effects were great those were used effectively especially the moments where the lights turned pitch black and all you mm -hmm. could hear were like scurrying of splicers or or little things in brilliant. your ear like that yeah. the, those moments were yeah. brilliant the violins the were great and the music um, the game is very theatrical. Uh, like yeah. characters, when, whether they know you're there or not, if it's a scripted event, they will put on some kind of performance. The lights will dim. Yeah, a spotlight yeah. will be on them. And <laughs> it's cool. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no, they did a very yeah. good job. Uh, one of my favorite things, though, um, was like just like the shadows. Yeah. How I would be. I yeah. Would be go like I was gonna go one way, and I would see like three different shadows, and I see the hooks, and I was like, maybe not. Maybe I'll not go this way. My own shadow I, would scare me. I'd see my own shadow yeah. on the wall, and I would jump. I'm like, oh, oh, it's just me. Thank God, and I keep going. Are you talking? You talking about the second game, right? No, the first because one. Because the too, first, I think you cast a shadow in the first game. Uh, I think there's a fire effect that casts your own shadow. I could be confusing it with the second game, but I'm pretty sure they both had it. It did happen a lot in the second game. That I know. But the first... I, I know for me, definitely, uh, as someone who I'm not like Palazzo, I, I really... Horror as a genre 
like as specifically as a horror genre is not something that generally interests me. Um, so I guess this is the closest I've gotten to playing like a proper horror game. And while I was not like urinating myself the entire time, <laughs> I will say that after Nick led me to that first jump scare, and it was dumb. It was it was the dumbest thing because they put an upgrade in front of you. You get it. You turn around and there's just a dude standing there. He didn't even attack. He was just standing there. I screamed. I, I like I emptied my clip on him. And then after that point, I was just on edge for I, I want to say like the next hour of the game. Just like anytime I entered anywhere, you would see me like turn around super quick and like all of this. Eventually it went away. And honestly, I didn't find it too terribly scary. But when I when I felt that like one of those moments might be coming, just the fact that that the atmosphere is so strong and the fact that you know that it exists somewhere in the game is enough to put you on edge. And I think it, like uh, Nick was saying, one of the wonderful things about this game is how theatrical it is. And it uses that to its effect constantly. Whether it's just this, this moment of showmanship or whether it's horror or whether it's even like a, a little funny moment that you find that then turns into something else. It, it is magnificent to see what they do with the limited resources they have. And it's it's very hard for me to forget a lot of the stuff I heard in the commentary, but like when you look at the game, there are so few character models in this game, and I'm sure Benetatos would love to touch on some of that, but they use them all so well. And like he was saying in the scripted events, like they play sounds, even though like in game, there's not really an enemy anywhere, but the sounds are there to like, to introduce the idea that, that they're coming. Um, I will say, if we want to talk technical for a quick second, people sound way too close to you in this yes, game. They sound absolutely. like they are riding your back, and they're not. You they're can't the hear where they are properly. That was very yeah. frustrating for me. But aside from that, all of the, the beautifully staged moments, because that's what it is, the game doesn't have a lot to work with, so it has to be theater. It has to take the limited costumes and props it has, and it has to find a way to make you believe that it is what what it wants you to believe. And I think that sets the atmosphere just beautifully. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you um, think, Nick? <laughs> well, you were talking about, yeah, limited splicer models. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you will start to see, I believe, actually all of... Cohen's disciples are the exact same model and they're just wearing the brightest clothes because they're the specific guys that you yeah. need to locate. Um, yeah, but even, even non splicers are using splicer models and you just, you don't get a close up. They're just cleaned up. They're wearing clean clothes. There's no dirt or blood, but the model is exactly the same and they just put them in areas where either they're too far away to see clearly or their back is turned um, so like Julie Langford in Arcadia, she is, uh, yeah, you, you barely even get to, she talks to you over the radio, but as soon as you see her in person, she dies immediately. So you don't get a good look at her yeah. Tenenbaum. They have this noir, uh, mm -hmm. choice where you first find her and she's smoking and blowing glass, uh, blowing smoke to the ceiling. Sorry. Uh, and her back's turned, but really she's a splicer model as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Atlas has a splicer model, uh, and he's so far away and they put a little hat on him to distinguish, but the hat is like, it's not like it's going snugly on his head. It's like sitting on top of his head. So his head yeah. just looks like, uh, 
it's too big for it. Those are <laughs> yeah, for budget reasons, probably, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, yeah, yeah. And the only specific there's three specific models. There is Andrew Ryan, the owner of the city. There is Sander Cohen. I love that mm-hmm. he got his own splicer yes. model, and it's super creepy. And when since he he uh, you can not decide not to kill him because he won't he won't kill you if you don't anger him. You can just get a really good look at this guy, and he's all the disheveled suit, the the freaky makeup. He does his eyelashes in a strange uh-huh. way, his lipstick, um, and then the last one, the the final boss also has his own model. But other than that, everyone is sharing uh, models, so you you're yeah. killing the same. It feels, sometimes it might feel like you're killing the same couple of people uh, in Rapture, but that they make up for that for, with uh, the abundance of voice lines for yes, each yes, splicer. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Right, so it never gets old. I was astounded at the amount of unique dialogue they gave to NPCs, especially yes. knowing that it's an older game with limited resources and stuff. Exactly. And when you're playing AAA games, like you will hear someone do that say anymore. the same line a million times. And this little tiny game that is using the same model for a thousand enemies decides to give them all not only a ton of unique lines, but also specific to like scenarios that they're in. Um, yes. Ba- based on where you are. And I think that's it's the magic of them covering up their limited resources, but it's also the magic of them working in such, uh, with such tight constraints and such specific areas. Again, just like all the, the environmental stuff, everything is fleshed out because it's not this big open world that they can't account for every inch for here. They can think of everything. Um, and I think that is one of the game's absolute greatest strengths. And the voice acting was incredible too. Yeah, like I, I went back and looked up some of the names, and I, I think I only recognized one. And at the time, if they were a bunch of nobodies doing it, it's amazing that they they dished out some of these great performances. Especially Andrew Ryan's voice actor, I thought was amazing. Yes, a lot of actors were actually just uh, part of the development team. Wow, good for them. Right? Yeah, like yeah. Ken Levine, like the director. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. the Circus of Value, Martin Finnegan, the <laughs> Iceman. Um, yeah. I watched. I was observing a lot of splicer behavior in this playthrough. Yeah. Uh, that I did. Yeah, and they do things like we're just seeing now in like The Last of Us Part Two, where characters will uh, comment on he's running away. Oh, yeah. just run away. Oh, yeah. who, like and if they're idle, they're talking to themselves. If they suspect you're nearby, and they go, "What was that?" Oh, I guess I'm just whatever. And Skyrim does been my the imagination. Class. Yeah, but they do the same two over yeah. and over. Whereas, yeah. whereas, uh, like this splices in this game would say such crazy shit. Like, darling, is that you, or, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mister 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 Gerard? Is that you? It's, it's Have you seen my baby? Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you the ones that took my child? Like, ugh, <laughs> creepy stuff. And little Jesus sisters reacting to what you do as well. There is one guy who whistles, and or it's like yes. someone trying to whistle. But they're blowing so hard into the microphone that it's like they're blowing into my ear. And it's just something fun. Yeah, glitches and stuff like that, or even funny stuff like that, uh, really stand out because of how atmospheric this game is. Uh, and it makes them even like 10 times funnier to me. Yeah. Yeah. There's another thing to like about it. Uh, okay. Yeah, I just want to list some. Because I wasn't lying when I said that I always find new things about yeah. this game whenever I play and look into it. I'm gonna talk about some things that go for it. Yeah, I just discovered, and I'm willing to bet maybe you guys didn't. 
Um, they're mostly they were mostly technical things. I'm not so much about story, mm-hmm. but I found that I thought they were very cool. Like go for it. And this might be a little bit nerdy, but for example, the ve- the very beginning of the game, um, after the plane crash and you swim up to the surface, and when you first finally take control and you're swimming on the water, you can find three burnt corpses of people from the plane. And if you're listening with headphones very, very faintly, you can hear people crying in or like screaming, uh, dying, whatever in the oh, wow. uh, like in the background. Wow. Like it's hard because you have the w- ocean noise as well, swell mm. like swelling on top of it. But that that to me, uh, give me chills. It's, really, it's like someone you can't see, but you can hear the the concept. There's is still there. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. I found that interesting. Uh, I have I had a. I have a tonic that um, gives me natural camouflage when I stand still. So I love mm-hmm. getting into Splicer's vicinity, uh, letting him get a whiff of me, but then turning invisible after I stand still. Yeah. And they'll walk right up to me, uh, but not they, they don't technically see me. And they'll go in through their idle animations and behaviors, and they're super fascinating. Uh, I did not know Splicer's actually cracked their necks, and they have a little sound for it too. Huh. Oh. That's cool. And uh, there's little sounds that we don't notice because it's uh, you expect them to be there. They're very uh, immersive. Like uh, if the character is wearing rubber boots, he will make squeaky rubber boot noises. Really? As he's as he's walking around. Huh. Um, my favorite moment this time around was the dance with uh, with not sorry not the dance, the, the outburst. Dancing. The yeah. outburst of Sander Cohen gotcha. when he accuses you of being a doubter of his art and he summons a, a wave of splicers on you while playing the Waltz of the Flowers by the uh, by Tchaikovsky from the Oh, yeah, yeah. The classical music mm-hmm. uh, combined with, and I saw you two had different experiences with that. I saw John accidentally angered two big daddies yep. while this beautiful music is playing. So he's just in a world of chaos <laughs> screaming on stream and stuff. And I thought, this is beautiful. This counterpoint yes. music is fantastic. That was actually um, my favorite part of the game. Oh, yeah? I yep. agree. Yeah. Um. And I don't. You probably didn't realize, but those splicers actually take less health than like almost any other splicer in the game. This is actually supposed to be an invitation to dance, and you might not understand. And you might not have gotten that. I certainly didn't get that. I've read about this later, but um, yeah, the splicers go down in like one hit with the wrench. Yeah. So they really want you to just. It, it's it's so weird. It's weird. It's because you can't really dance i guess in the game so this is the next best thing you're just supposed Mm -hmm. to actually be in cohen's twisted mind and consider this a dance so yeah i i would sway the camera do a little 360 (laughs) let the splicer follow me and then bop him on the head with the wrench and tiptoe over the next guy and do some (laughs) jumps and twirls and just getting lost in the madness so maybe i'm just a weirdo (laughs) i love that (laughs) I was also playing with headphones this time, of course. And while I know where all the scares are, the atmosphere is just so rich that, uh, yeah, my mom walked into the room and scared me. And I, I, I cursed I, all F-bombs and stuff. I, I was pissed for a second because I felt like, yeah, I was already on edge playing yeah. this game. Because I, I played, yeah, I, 
big thing I love about the game is the horror aspect. And horror games done right can give you such a rush. Yeah. So, yeah, it never gets old for me. And I guess the last thing would be... This is huge for nerds, like super nerds. Because I have found something that is undocumented <laughs> in anywhere. Uh, I, I searched all over. It's It's during... That experience where you're taking on this role of becoming uh, a big daddy, I guess. Yeah. Um, so this this because I've played the game so much. This is my new game plus plus playthrough. <laughs> so I had already done uh, the things and collected the things I needed for this uh, certain activity. So yeah. I think I think that the game uh, things thought that I had already done it. And some stuff has been coded in already and taken out for before the game was launched. So I, fi- I basically, I found, I got, Tenenbaum said something to me. I'm going to read it because uh, I have it written down. But Tenenbaum said something to me that is not in the game. And also, it was the only radio message I got with no subtitles. And I tried uh. to look up unused radio messages and stuff like that everywhere. And there are some, and this one is not located. Um I look and I press the start menu. I see it's the only one in caps. It says Tenenbaum needs friendly name in caps with exclamation mark. And Tenenbaum tells me, "Good, good. Now you must go to the autopsy room and inject yourself." Huh. I don't know if you know this, but there is nothing to inject yourself with during no. that section. And also, the autopsy room had nothing in it to do anything like just yeah. you know ammo weapons none of that stuff so this was something that was put in the game previously and then taken out near the end and you're not supposed to be able to locate it but for whatever reason and i think it's because yeah this is my new game plus plus whatever yeah. i must have unlocked this and i'm just saying this now because i can't find it anywhere and it makes me super excited but if can anyone tell me if anyone can tell me why and if, if i'm not the first that's fine but i really just want this documented for the first time yeah. uh, when this podcast is coming out that i Nicholas Benetados have found this <laughs> little bit. I'm I just I'm glad that I can find something new and offer it to uh, anyone else who is obsessed with the game as well. I... Beautiful, <laughs> that's beautiful. I, I always it. find something new, <laughs> and I wasn't kidding. This is something brand new that no one has even seen yet. Breaking news: We have made a new discovery. <laughs> only the developers know about this, and I bet they're the only ones that can explain it to me. Email them. Yeah, man, send them a letter. Demand a response. <laughs> they can be like, "Oh yeah, we just we're gonna do we were gonna do that, and then we didn't." <laughs> That's it. Oh yeah, nice. I forgot about that. That's the plot of Bioshock Four. Because <laughs> I heard there are some unused Sander Cohen files, and you're, apparently you were supposed to plaster the splicers yourselves at one point. Oh, Ooh. stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. So that made me very happy. Thank you, thank you. Hey everyone, it's me again, just coming at you with a real quick message. If you're listening to this at release, that means that we have just started Bioshock Week. So we have Bioshock 2 and Bioshock Infinite coming out on Wednesday and Friday, respectively. It also means that our Indiegogo is starting to come to a close. We have just under two weeks left. So if you're interested in helping support the launch of these shows and you like what we've put out so far, please consider checking out our Indiegogo and donating over there. That said, I just want to give a real quick thank you to all of our founding parents for their support of the show. Again, this includes Adriana Larcon, 
Juan Zorrilla, Will Williams, Ann Baird, Jerry Benetados, Katrina Scott, Carolina Riverol, Alejandro Alarcón, and Giovanni Zorrilla. The support we've seen from our donors and all of our listeners has really been overwhelming, and we're glad that it seems like you're enjoying all of our content. That said, if you want to jump on some of the limited time rewards that are available to the Indiegogo backers, now is the time to do it before those rewards are gone at the end of the campaign. In fact, one of our donors has already requested an episode, so pretty soon we'll be having our first sponsored, so to speak, episode on a game that I am really excited to jump into, which we may or may not be streaming in the latter half of this week. So be sure you subscribe to us on YouTube if you uh, if you want to be a part of that. Also remember that once our Indiegogo ends, live streams are going to become a patron reward. So if you've been enjoying those and you want to get other benefits like our 24-hour reviews and things like that, make sure that you go and support us somewhere so you can become part of the community. And don't forget that as of now, all the way until the end of the campaign, donations of any amount, even as low as $1, to the Indiegogo means that you will get to join our Discord, where you can discuss our shows and help vote on what content you're going to see in the future. So if you have games you want to see in particular or games you want to play with us, then go check that out so you can join the Discord and be a part of the show as it continues to grow and change. Again, a huge thank you to all of our supporters so far. Now I'll let you get back to your enjoyment of our review of Bioshock. Uh, anything else before we maybe move on to narrative and, and how we felt about that? I'm ready. I'm ready, uh, baby. All right. Yeah, well, let's get to the... Okay, so just... For the people listening, potential spoiler warnings. I don't think we're going to dive into every single aspect of the narrative. I think it's been out long enough that people know it. We don't need to dissect it. But I, I think we are interested in maybe talking about how it felt to us, to those of us who were experiencing it the, the first time, and how it felt um, in the greater context of today, you know, what, 13 years after the fact. Uh, and how effective we felt it was delivered and, and the story overall. I suppose I will start. This game had a little bit of a rough start with me, and I think it may have had to do with the fact that it was streaming, and so I was focusing on a lot of different things because this was our first stream, and so I I was not like super tuned in at the very beginning. So I was enjoying the the game overall, but I wasn't necessarily super invested in the story at at the beginning and i enjoy picking up the audio logs but i i guess i wasn't dissecting them the way that you needed to so overall again it's one of those things where i think that i would really benefit from coming to this game a second time later on and seeing all those little details because as i progressed in the game i did start to be like oh is that is this ghost that person from this that did this and how does this connect to that and like by the end of the game, I was fully in that mindset, but I don't think I was ready to receive it um, in the beginning. And I'm curious as to how you guys felt it was delivered to you. So I'll, I'll say this. Uh, again, I knew the major plot twist going in. So I think I appreciated a lot of little details a lot more, but I was hyper-focused on it because I knew the major plot twist. and Gotcha. 
I'll, I'll try to avoid it because I, I, I do think it's a, a plot twist that a lot of people should experience for themselves. But um, mm-hmm. they put little things in the world, like writings on the wall, posters oh, yeah. specifically, that pretty much blatantly tell you what the plot twist is, what the narrative mm-hmm. is. And I got chills because I knew what would happen. And, and just that realization of like, oh, my God, they, they project this to the player so well. Um, and there's also a moment right before you learn the twist of the game where you drop into a little room and the music kind of swells up. And then yeah. you look at a poster board and it pretty much reveals oh. to you. Well, yeah, that part is uh, I feel like it, that was the reveal for me. No, yeah, it absolutely was. Yeah. But it, I'm just expressing how how cool that is because there's no dialogue there's no monologuing it's just there it is the game shows you what it is and and oh that is such a great form of storytelling but my only complaint about the narrative um two two major things actually one the game Mm -hmm. peaks way too early um fort frolic and the area after although the area after isn't as interesting it's just that's the plot dump those are the best parts of the game and it was unfortunate that the rest of it wasn't as interesting to me as those two because I love those really? two areas so much. And then the main villain of the game, uh, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but it just was a disappointment to me. Didn't find him interesting at all. Uh, I I would have rather they gone a different direction than what they did, but uh-huh. it just kind of um, it disappointed me. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about that. I agree with you that Fort Frolic felt like the peak of the game. Um, but I did not necessarily feel a decline after that point. I think it was still fun enough. And at that point, the story kicks into high enough gear that I'm invested in what's happening narratively. So that even though the game may, might not be overtly giving you changes to gameplay, it's more something that you experiment with at your own free will. Uh I didn't find myself losing interest. I, I, I felt like it, it ramped up to Fort Frolic and then everything after Fort Frolic, it stayed uh it stayed kind of constant, for me at least. The reveal is supposed to be the climax and the Yes, you know, the rest, the rest the of the falling action. action. Yeah. The falling action just didn't grasp me because I wasn't connected to um the I guess the villain, the villain. or the objective. Yeah. He is a little cheesy but Absolutely. i i guess nostalgia has i kind of find him charming and i guess i could say this andrew ryan is not the main villain i'm not going to say who it is but um i, I want to point out andrew ryan as a villain is incredible in fact i i think yeah. he might be one of the best villains in a game i've ever his, seen his presence is so known and you don't even see him exactly then and it's yeah he's always on the right ra- you know, the radio calling you, he's, uh, he's controlling everything that's happening on the city. You hear little, uh, um, intercom, like, uh, little ads and, or sometimes just his propaganda coming through the intercom, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. His presence is massive and you don't even get to see him until so you see him. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. Uh, I guess, yeah, I, I also was not super interested in the main villain, so to speak. I guess it was more the way that the main villain was affecting you as a character that had me invested. And then eventually the stuff with the little sisters, uh, particularly that section that we spoke about, I was invested in that. And that's so close to the end at that point that it was enough things that I was interested in that 
I got to the villain, and I was like, okay, let's do this. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't necessarily the, necessarily the villain that was maintaining my interest. But I, I totally see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Nick, I have a funny Nick. Easter egg. Yeah, um, a funny Easter egg. Uh, in for frolic in the theater, there is a vending machine, and this is, I guess, their comment on movie prices and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a candy bar for like three hundred dollars. Oh, really? And there, yeah, that's funny. for no, there's yeah, it doesn't do anything. It's just a candy bar, but they, yeah, it's a little that's a little joke. I think the scale is used very well throughout the game. Like at the very beginning, when you're standing underneath the Andrew Ryan statue. Yeah. towering over you and makes you feel so small in this world that belongs <laughs> to someone else and um also when you're next um seeing sander cohen's uh elaborate art <laughs> for the yeah. first time feels very very cool and like you're fully immersed in where you are yeah i think overall like the with the exception of the plot twist that moment the the overarching plot of the game is not necessarily super stellar um because like early on the mission is you're trying to help someone save their family and i'm like yeah i'll help you because it's a game like yeah and then (laughs) even after that like you're you're going through stuff but the the main through line is not necessarily super interesting but i think the game keeps you enthralled by the use of the environment as a character and how well fleshed out that is and and the city as cliche as that may sound yeah the presentation of the story is brilliant not necessarily the story itself but i also think that the characters themselves while their story may not be super interesting i thought the characters were pretty fascinating uh Mm. sander cohen especially but sander cohen andrew ryan even tenenbaum and in retrospect especially the more you think about it um, and it's something that I liked about our experience with Bioshock 2 is the way that they thread these pieces of the world back into to remind you, you know, that you're this is still a rapture and like these characters that have this lasting presence over this world and, and this experiment that failed. Um, and I, I enjoy that. I, I think it's nice to have a, a world that feels clearly defined with characters that are compelling. I think the world. Yeah. To me, the world is very real. Even in that very beginning of the game, when you're seeing all those neon lights, uh, those are places you can actually go yeah. to. Yeah. And everything is, everything has an explanation except for why you can carry so many guns on you. <laughs> but everything else has an explanation for it. I find that really cool. I can't go into more until we go into spoilers. Well, on that, I, so. I think we're here. I think we, we we're in the spoiler yeah. stuff. We are in the spoiler zone. Yeah. Danger warning. Spoiler section entering now. Okay, whatever. That's the official warning. There we go. Um, so uh let's just talk about Andrew Ryan for a second. Uh this is something you wouldn't know unless you read the novel, but Andrew Ryan comes from Russia. You do know that uh yeah, he's ups- he's upset with all types of government. Right. He, yep. He's like he finds no government works for him on Earth. There's uh, he has that speech uh, for you on the projector. Uh, I can't. What are you, CIA team. jackal? No, no. Before that, on the projector, when you're in the bathosphere, he's like, uh, is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? Yes. No, says the man in the va- uh, 
uh, in the Vatican. It belongs to the poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah No, like says the man in the church belongs to God. Whatever. Yeah, he hates all government. So he wanted to make his own objectivist society. Um, and Andrew Ryan is an anagram for Ayn Rand, who wrote. Ah, uh, uh, yes. 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 Who wrote the Fountainhead? Atlas Shrug. Yeah, Alice Shrug. I, I oh, believe that's cool. Either one of those is the is the main uh, is what a lot of the uh, ideas from this game come from. But yeah, he. Yeah, this is an objectivist society where everyone is uh, working for themselves basically, and there's not a lot of government uh, getting involved at all. And that was that sounds good on paper, just like communism sounded good yeah, on yeah. paper. <laughs> Uh, and it did not turn out well. And you can see that there's a minimum in the story where that in the book, at least, where you can see that's beginning to not work. Is There's a guy who two guys own different department stores, but one of them bought out the garbage, uh, the garbage company. So garbage starts piling up in one of the in front of one of the garbage stores. And he's like, Andrew Ryan comes. He's like, what's uh, what's all this? Why do you have this disgusting garbage in front of your store? How do you think your people, your customers, are gonna feel? It's like, well, that other store bought out the garbage company, and he's charging me ten. It, they're making me. They're charging me uh ten times the price to get rid of it, and I I can't make a living anymore, man. It's like, oh well, we're gonna have to. You're gonna have to solve it yourself, or we're gonna have to do something about this. You want me to do something to do about this? Fine. So he shoots the other department store guy, and then he shoots himself and kills himself, and that's like the beginning where things start to really crumble. Now let's talk about Frank Fontaine. Frank Fontaine is not actually Frank Fontaine. And you would not know that unless you read the books. Frank is his first name. But he grew up, uh, I think it's in a boarding school, but he grew up doing theater. And that's how he got very good at pretending to be other people. And he let, that's like, that's why he's, yeah, he, he got the Irish accent to pretend to be oh, Atlas. That explains uh, a and lot. He, <laughs> and he tells you that he grew up, um, well, one time he was a Chinaman for six months. So he used that to his van- advantage in the criminal world. So he was uh, he would do things like get people drunk to make them sign deals so that he can so that they can uh, p- sign their deals for like debts that they wouldn't be able to pay off so he can get their stuff. And basically, he found out about Rapture. Uh, someone came to a bar that he, in a shady way, he got to acquire the bar. Uh, he finds out about Rapture. He finds out about some guy, a different guy named Frank Fontaine, who works there. Uh, he works there, the Fontaine Fisheries. He's giving, supplying uh, the fish and food to uh, the construction workers building the city at the time. Mm-hmm. So what Fontaine does is he basically, yeah, he 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 offers to buy that guy out uh, and take over his business. He gives him a suitcase full of fish. As like a as a insult, kills the guy, throws him overboard, takes on this identity of Frank Fontaine, and then goes down into Rapture, and now he owns Fontaine Fisheries, and he gotcha. sees uh, the uh, the uh, opportunities uh, there. How easily you could take mm-hmm. over because there is no limitations. So P- Andrew Ryan, he he selects the people usually who can come to Rapture. And Frank Fontaine was not one of those people that was selected because he infiltrated Rapture. And he became the antagonist because he started with Fontaine Fisheries, but then he started Fontaine Futuristics, mm. creating these plasmids that were dangerous. And so they have this, Andrew Ryan and Fontaine have this war, and 
is a civil war that happens in Rapture. Fontaine fakes his death, becomes Atlas, but he's still trying to take back Ryan. And and Ryan sees now that if he's going to keep his city, he has to go against his own beliefs and start taking control, government control. And that upsets the people even more. And it's very sad because this man had a vision and the and the later games will show you how beautiful this city could have been, uh-huh. but it just gets uh, completely destroyed. And you have this whole, and like Infinite, you're there while the destruction is happening. Rap and Bioshock, you're at the graveyard. It already happened. The Civil War already happened. You're just picking up the pieces, basically. Why did I go into that? <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to talk about objectivism. Yeah, Dude. that's a big theme. Dude, here. I'm so glad you're talking about this. And I just want to say, me yelling about um, Ayn Rand wasn't me like supporting any of it. But I just, <laughs> just, I just got really excited that you talked about it because it's just been such. I don't know why, but it's been coming a lot. It's been coming up a lot in my life lately. Just I don't know. I don't know <laughs> why, but yeah. So I just, it's it's just, just yeah. You should start it's investing sad. in some submarines. It's sad because this could have been Utopia, but this is also explaining why we can't have Utopia. It's because people basically suck. Because the Utopian must precede the Utopia. And we'll talk about, yeah, Bioshock 2, the other other end of this Utopian uh, idea. Yeah. Um, The would you kindly. All right. I just want to, this is just a little fun thing. Ken Levine is a huge fan of Stan Lee. Yeah, Excelsior. uh, Excelsior mm-hmm. was going to be the word initially, the, the would you kindly, yeah. but they, they went with would you kindly instead. Yeah, I feel like Excelsior would have been like such a standout. <laughs> and now, for this for is... people who, who have played the game and enjoyed it, like absolutely watch the director's commentary. I think it's interesting. Like it's not life changing, but there's little tidbits there that are just fun to know. Would you kindly such a subtle phrase too that's worked so well into the game that you wouldn't know that that's the trigger word until it's the revealed. The only Dude. time it stood out to me was when he said, "Now would you kindly go kill the bastard?" It just it was a weird sentence. I was like, "That's a weird way to say that," but okay. Dude, and then it, when I saw it on the wall, I was like, "Ah!" It didn't stand out to me at all. I was just I honestly I didn't even like recognize it until later on. Like once you're in the office and you do the do. Yeah. Spoilers. And so, kill him? Yeah, man. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? I was so upset. <laughs> A man chooses. Some some more on Atlas. Uh if you're paying attention, you can uh you can start to see the very holes in Atlas's facade. You can figure it out, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. For the big thing is and you I don't think you can find one until Fort Frolic, but there's a poster that says Patrick and My- Moira, mm-hmm. the musical or something. Yep. And if you remember at the beginning of the game, he's like, I have to get my family out of here. Like uh, my my son, Patrick, my wife, Moira. Yeah. Um, there's also little things. He doesn't have his story straight. Um, if, when you go to the Finding McDonough's in, I think, the yeah. Farmer's Market, or is that? No, I'm sorry. Neptune's Bounty. Yeah. Uh, he'll say, funny. this is where I took Myra on my first date. But earlier he said... I should have never taken my family down to this uh, city. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> he will also use uh, terms, mainly the the one I remember 
in Arcadia. He goes like, every time we get a yard ahead, Ryan takes the ball and runs the other end of the field. That's a football. That's an American football reference. Why would an Irishman be talking about the customary system and uh, talking about American football? God, that's so cool. True. I the noticed the uh, the posters everywhere, the Who is Atlas. Who is Atlas. And there's yes, a recording, a- an Andrew Ryan recording that – pretty much is criticizing atlas and his bandits and is going off about atlas mm-hmm. and yeah. that sort of leads you on like oh there's that something make, yeah. else going there's on something here. wrong about him yeah. yeah uh what else kit when you're destroying or getting into the office i think you're making the thing explode yeah to break his uh lock to the office he's like what's going on it sounds like the fourth of july down there again fourth oh. of july that's an american thing yeah um so yeah i just love they put in those little Things to tell you without telling you along the way. It's for the very, very observant player. Yeah, but there, no one, no one saw that in their first playthrough. Mm-hmm. It's but just it's great so for. Brilliant. It's great for replaying. It's brilliant. That's all. That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> it. Is brilliant. It it's is brilliant. It's freaking genius. <laughs> Adds a new genius kind of creep time. factor too. Going back and playing it because you're like, ooh, I know what happens. You know, yeah, at least you'd for be me. disgusted with Atlas being like, oh, please help me. My family. Yeah. And they, all right. Exactly. Fuck you and your lucky charms. I know <laughs> oh, all my. about your fucking plan. Yeah. I really felt for him. Once he started mentioning the family, I was like, oh, dude, I felt so bad. I was like, oh, no, his family's yeah. going to be dead. And that sub that the sub that blew up. You can walk yeah. to that before. If you want to walk past the switch, I showed you guys yeah. bef- uh, before, but. Yeah, you can walk up to the sub and he'll be like, you hear me, family in there? Any noise at all? And and no, you don't hear anything because no one's in there. <laughs> it's all a setup. There are, I think when you blow it up, there are corpses because corpses is what they get labeled for something you didn't kill. Otherwise, they call it something splicer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the corpses are just splicers he found or maybe actual corpses. And the fact that they hide it as a gameplay, not really a mechanic, but the objective is technically the mind control going on of you yeah. having to do that. But the gamer does it so naturally that you'll never know until right. the reveal happens and that's so cool you're never you're never questioning but none of this was a choice anyway and this, yeah this is a game about player choice like yeah. i said in the first game yeah and i love that and that's ahead of its time i think uh now games are doing that i think making you think this uh like why are you doing this especially i, I know metal gear did it like you enjoy all the killing and stuff like that mm. games are doing uh, it too much nowadays and not as yeah, effectively. yeah. This, <laughs> this is where it came from people so <laughs> i guess i talked too much and no. i think that's no such thing. we ready no. for a vote it was fascinating uh, yeah all righty i could go on but we shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> so in the case of Bioshock, how do we vote? I think you should definitely buy it, though. You yeah, ob- yeah, obviously, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I don't care how old this is. Uh, yeah, if you can get it for free, fine. I won't be mad at you. Uh, but they deserve all the money, the the work, and what they did for the gaming industry. My God, yeah. yes, this is genius, and I think absolutely you should buy it, though. Buy it. The game's pretty revolutionary, and you can get it for cheap. But if it was True. full price, I would still say buy it. Yeah, I'm going to agree. I think it's great. <laughs> I, just, I think as dark and disturbing as the story is, it is still super intriguing. It's super engaging. I liked 
as weird as it sounds, I liked how isolated I felt throughout it. Mm-hmm. It was great. Definitely. I remember you asking for companions or Yes, because I'm, oh man, I love, I love having a companion. And so as many, as many times as I could, I would always hack a security bot so that I could always just have <laughs> yeah, something. <me> too. <laughs> but yeah, they did, even like the fact that you're underwater, how, like you're, it's all, it's brilliant. Buy it. Yes. Death buy it though. Death buy it. Yeah, this is absolutely a buy just for the sole reason of killing things while listening to Walt of the Flowers. Um, <laughs> but other than that, this game doesn't even, the age doesn't show, one, because it's a remaster, and two, because it, it's still just fun to play many years later. So, yeah, definitely buy it if you can. Absolutely. So, one in, thing. Uh-huh. Wait, <laughs> I ahead. forgot because I was going to talk to you about this. Remember, I told you to look in Orion's office in the back, the Vita Chamber was yeah. off. Okay, because mm-hmm. all the Vita Chambers are tuned to his DNA, but since you are his son by DNA because you were the embryo that was sold when he had sex mm-hmm. with Jasmine Jolene, the lady working in the whorehouse. Yeah. Yeah, it's tuned to your DNA as well. And he, at that point, realizes that he can't get his city back. And he does, he'd rather die with the ship, I guess. Yeah. So he gives up at that point. He doesn't want to kill his own son. Uh, he's... he's he sees that you've been lost. You are now a slave, and there's nothing he can do about it. So him being stubborn, yeah, he has you kill him. And wow. he's like, I don't even want to come back to life. I'm turning off my own Vita Chamber. So if you look in the back of his office, his Vita Chamber is turned off, and you can choose to activate it if you want, but he won't come back. That's so wow. cool. Wow, okay. At- Atlas needed you because your DNA can bypass the security system, can bypass. You're the only one that can use the bathosphere because of your genetic st- structure matching Andrew Ryan's. Nice. Yeah. Better end it before I think of something else. <laughs> well, so in the case of Bioshock, in a surprise turnaround from The Last of Us Part 2 <laughs> by unanimous vote, we think that you should buy it, though. Go out, get this game. I mean, the collection is uh, is super reasonably priced, and you can get all these games. Um, and it's really just a wonderful world that's worth exploring whether that's for the combat, the music, the atmosphere, the story, or you know what? The hacking. Cause, cause the, hacking. the hacking. Uh, <laughs> Don't cop that. But you are a hack. Oh. <laughs> Damn, Shots girl. fired. Okay. In the best way pew, possible. Pew. <laughs> uh-huh. Like a Sander Cohen hack. <laughs> hey, look at that. Full circle. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you're listening to this live, we're going to have Bioshock 2 and Bioshock Infinite coming at you real quick. It's a Bioshock week so i can't wait to talk about all of those with you guys and to decide maybe at the end which one is our favorite and have that discussion as well but thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk at you next week would you kindly buy this game what's your kindly would you kindly go get stepped on by a big daddy would you kindly be my daddy would you kindly be my big daddy